The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome to Coastal. I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today. Like Ryan said, there's a lot of things uh, happening this this month uh, at Coastal, a lot of things in your bulletin. There is this big brochure, again, in your bulletin. And uh, Scott and I, with a, a couple of other churches here in Charleston, actually, uh, we're planning a trip uh, to Israel, uh, to the Holy Land, next year, a year from now. And uh, we're having a meeting about that uh, next Sunday after the second service. So if you're interested in uh, going to uh, the Holy Land and, and walking where Jesus walked and a lot of other exciting things and uh, seeing the empty tomb and walking through Jerusalem, uh, we're going to have a blast. And I, I went when I was 15 years old, and uh, I'm looking forward to going back. Uh, it's going to be great. So if you're interested in that, you can check uh, the back of your Connect card and uh, show up to our little meeting uh, next Sunday. Also, uh, we feed a lot of people here at Coastal. You probably saw this little blue uh, uh, insert in your bulletin. Um, throughout the week, we have a, a food bank, a food pantry, and we have just people who come up uh, throughout the week and uh, pick up food. And so this is some information about that. Um, and I'm going to talk about Operation Christmas Child um, a little bit later. Uh, hey, uh, November the 19th, um, you've got to mark that on your calendar as well. That's a Sunday. Everybody turn around, look at our one sign back there. All those lights are lit, and, uh, but people keep getting saved here at Coastal. Uh, we had another person uh, give their life to Christ this past week. I got a phone call uh, from a parent uh, during the week just wanting me to know uh, that their child gave their life to Jesus. And that's important here at Coastal. So uh, we share the gospel, we lift up Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And uh, so so we're having a big party on um, Sunday, November the 19th. Only having one service that day, this one, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Don't be late. Come early. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're planning the service now. We're already uh, talking about some of the cool things. We're going to do a couple things we've never done before in, in a service, which says a lot here at Coastal. So um, you might want to come and see what, what's going to happen. And then we're just going to feed you afterwards. So come uh, plan, you know, bring some lawn chairs, bring some blankets. We're going to set up some tables and chairs. Uh, we'll have a tent outside, but probably not enough for everybody. So you, you can come back and sit in here, sit in the cafe, uh, but bring some blankets, uh, chairs, and uh, we're just going to have a good time fellowshipping together on uh, November the 19th. And that's, uh, again, represents, we, we reached our goal of um, at least 52 people this year uh, giving their life to Jesus. So that's what that party is all about. Uh, this morning, as we continue to look at David and uh, developing a heart for God, and that's what this series has been about. We've been using really David and his life uh, as a way to talk about the kind of heart that God is looking for. Uh, today, uh, we're actually going to look at another dark moment in David's life. Uh, but unli unlike last week's story, uh, it, it really is an episode that uh, most people aren't very familiar with, and I bet many of you aren't familiar with it all. Everybody's, of course, heard of David and Bathsheba, the adultery that, that he committed, uh, and, and all the ramifications of that, but a lot of people aren't familiar with this story. Uh, it has to do with a census, a census. Raise your hand if you have ever participated in, in a census here in our country. Anybody? Oh, wow, okay, very good. Um, well, it happens every 10 years here in America, and um, they've been taking one since, uh, really as long as we've been a nation, since 1790. Now, according to the results of that very first census, the population of the United States was just over 3,900,000. And it took 650 people uh, that were employed to actual do, actually do the counting, to take the census. Now, by comparison, in our last census that was taken in 2010, the population of our country had grown from 3,900,000 to 
700,000. Now, the number of workers necessary to complete the count had also grown from 650 in 1790 to 635,000. Probably a little bit of government waste there, I'm sure. (laughs) Anyway, to 2010. Now, today, we're going to take a look at another census that was taken 3,000 years ago with the children of Israel. The details of that census are recorded in 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Samuel 24. Now, to understand a little bit about what's going on here, uh, uh, some background information is helpful. So at, at this point in David's life, and again, by the way, we're really just hitting some highlights. There's a lot of things that we uh, didn't talk about in David's life. But at this point in his life, uh, he's nearing the end of his life. And he's been king of Israel for over 30 years now. And at this point in his reign, things are relatively calm, although he's been through an awful lot and a lot of things that we've we've not really talked about. But right now, uh, at this point, there's no war. Uh, It's really a time of peace, uh, prosperity, uh, and security. Now, it's against that backdrop that David makes one of the worst mistakes that he's ever made. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Uh, You can follow along on the screen. Uh, It says this. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Uh, Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. So he takes a census. Okay, a count. Not of the general population, but you actually discover that a census of his troops, of, of the army. And uh, David specifically wanted to know, how many, how many soldiers does he have? Now, you hear that and you think, well, Pastor Chris, come on, you know, seriously, what, what's wrong with that? I mean, what's wrong with a census? You know, our country takes one every 10 years, and sure, they're, they're annoying, but sinful? I mean, come on. Well, the problem, as with most things, wasn't what David did. You know, the problem wasn't that, you know, with the census, but it was the motive behind it. It was his motive. You know, all throughout David's life, David had been this guy who, you know, he trusted God. And, you know, and whenever he faced a battle, the issue was never, I mean, never how big his army was. It was always how big God was. Remember when he faced Goliath? First uh, Samuel 17, remember these, these fighting words, you know, from David to the giant? He said, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who are gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is whose? It's the Lord's. And he'll give you into our hands. And that's exactly what happened, right? David's also the guy who penned uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. You know, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He also wrote in Psalm 33, 16 and 20, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. We... We wait and hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. Don't you see? All throughout his life, David's 
confidence, his hope, his strength had not, not been in the power of you know, human resources, not in the things that he could see, not in the things that he could count. His power, his confidence had been in the unseen power of God. What about you? What's your confidence in? Where do you put your, your hope, your strength, and what you can see and count? What's tangible or the unseen power of God? Well, now for, for David, something is changing. You know, when, when David started to count his soldiers, he stopped counting on God. When he started counting his soldiers, he stopped counting on God. Da- David's starting to find his security, his, his confidence, not in the power of God, who had always been his rock and his fortress and his, his strength for all these years. But instead, now he's finding it in the tangible resources, things that he could see and touch and total up. Now what made this census a problem is that David was beginning to walk by sight and not by faith. He's beginning to put his faith in in the resources that he had under his command instead of the resources of God. Now what made this even more serious is that as the spiritual leader of Israel, you know, if if he starts going off in this direction, he's going to pull everybody else with him in the nation. You see, part of my job as, as a pastor is to, uh, is to lead the way. It's to lead coastal into unseen territory. It's to encourage you today to, to step out in faith. And not just put your trust in the things that you can see and number and count, but to put your faith in God. So let's look and see what happened here. Verse 3. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why why would you bring this guilt on Israel? Now, so get this. Even Joab, who, if you know anything about this guy, he's not exactly a spiritual giant. Um, He realized, man, this is a terrible idea, David. And so he goes to David, and he basically says, David, look, you know, you and I have been together for a long time. I mean, over 30 years, and we have gone into battle after battle, skirmish after skirmish, fight after fight, and we've been hopelessly outnumbered. I mean, battles where we didn't, it didn't look like we had a chance on any kind of human level of ever winning. And yet, David, because God was on our side, And you told us that. You led the way. He has always taken our army and he has multiplied our impact well beyond whatever number of troops we had fighting for us. And in any number of those battles, it really never mattered. I've never heard you say this before. It never mattered how many our army was. The only thing that ever mattered is whether or not God was with us. David, I think you're about ready to make a mistake. You're going to make God angry. Do not do this. Now stop right there for a moment. Let me ask you a question today. You have a friend like that in your life? You know, that cares enough to, to speak the truth to you? Yeah, I think that's one of the marks of a, of a close friend. 
if they see you about to make a, a, a major mistake, they, because of the relationship they have with you, they call you on it. You have friends like that in your life, somebody who can say, you know what, I, you're going down a wrong path here. You're about to make a mistake. By the way, I, I believe that that's, that's one of the benefits of being connected, of being connected in community with other people in a church. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, church attendance. I'm talking about putting yourself in an environment where over time you develop those three o'clock in the morning friends that we talk about a lot here at Coastal. I'm talking about, you know, over time because you're intentional about it, because, you know, you're involved and, you know, you're in groups and you're in ministry. Over time, you know, doing life with people. And it's in that context that you begin to love one another and pray for one another and support one another and encourage each other. And yes, from time to time, speak the truth in love to your friends. And I think that's what Joab was trying to do here for David. And he's trying to warn him, David, man, don't, don't do this. Well, but what happened? Verse 4. The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left, and he went throughout Israel, and then he came back to Jerusalem. Now, you, you, uh, you can't tell from the text here, but if you look at the other passage in 2 Samuel 24, you'll see that counting all of the soldiers, it was no uh, small task. The army was huge. Uh, in fact, it took Joab and, and the men nine months and 20 days to finish the count. But when he did, things went south really quick. When David started to count soldiers, he failed to count the cost. And we've talked a lot about that in this series, about, you know, about the consequences of our, our behavior. And there, the cost and the consequences was, uh, was high here. Look at, look at God's reaction to what David did. Verse 7. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Now, in the verses that follow, it's another one of these, and you see several of these really in the life of David. It's one of the most unusual events anywhere uh, in the Bible. Verse 8, then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. So David asked for forgiveness, and God forgives him. Don't miss that, but there were still consequences. You know, by numbering the troops, by walking by sight, David had insulted God. And so God said, David, okay, I'm going to let you choose the discipline that I bring on you and the nation. And I'm going to give you three choices. And you get to make the decision. Now, that's, that's weird, right? I mean, that's unusual. This, this is the only place in the Bible where God allows the person who messed up to choose the discipline that he's going to send. And he gives David three choices. Look what happens. Verse 9. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, and in other translations it says David's uh, pastor or David's spiritual overseer, um, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So basically God says, I'm giving you three choices. Door number one, 
door number two, door number three. And unlike the game show, I'm going to show you what's behind the door, and you get to choose, okay? Behind door number one, three years of famine. Wow. Now, Israel had been through that before. Uh, In fact, something like that had happened in the days of Elijah, and the Bible says the people were reduced to cannibalism. Okay, so that's not really a very attractive option. Uh, Door number two, God said, David, I will give you three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you. I'm going to let you run in the wilderness and live as a fugitive and an outlaw for three months. Now again, this is not a very attractive option. You know, but it's not without historical precedent. David been there, done that, been chased around for years, remember, by Saul. Uh, he was chased out of the city. We didn't go over the story, but it happened by his own son, Absalom. Uh, David didn't want to do that again, so maybe in his mind, this is also not a very attractive option. And then finally, door number three. God says, I will give you three days of plague over uh, the whole land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Those are your three choices. Now, none of those choices were things that you would want to have to go through. And yet God said, David, you get to choose. Now, before we look at the choice that David made, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between doors number one and three and then door number two? In other words, what's the difference between famine and plague and then David being chased around in the wilderness by his enemies for three months? Now, if you're not sure, think about it this way. When it comes to door number one and door number three, who is it that suffers for what David did wrong? That's right, everybody, other people, innocent people. Door number two, who suffers for what David did wrong? David. So which door do you think David should have chosen? Right, door number two. And he suffered, you know, suffered himself for what he'd done wrong. Now, what do you think he did? Let's see, verse 13. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. You think? Right? You know, let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. That sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? But let's continue. But do not let me fall into human hands. So what's he saying? David said, well, I'll let God choose as long as the choice is not number two. In other words, God, I'm I'm too old now to be chased around in the wilderness for three months by my enemies. So what happens? Verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead, 70,000 soldiers. I mean, it's almost like God said, David, you want to count something, you count this. You know, you take pride in the size of your army. Let me show you just how fast I can shrink your army. Let me show you just how fast... Think about that. You you take pride in what you have, what you think is yours. Let me show you how quickly you can lose everything. Verse 15. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. Now, this is important, though. Don't miss what was happening at the exact same moment. Verse 16, 
David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. And then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. Verse 17. David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, I, the king, I, the leader, I have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord my God, let your hand fall on who? Me and my family. Don't let this plague remain on your people. Now notice something. When David fully surrendered to God, he experienced the fullness of God's mercy. The exact moment David turned to God and accepted full and complete responsibility for what he did. And he said, God, not only do I feel bad for what I've done, but more than that, I am ready to accept the consequences of what I've done. Let them fall on me. That was the exact point that everything stopped. You know, back in verse 8, David basically confessed to God, I was wrong. But now in verse 17, he's saying, you know what? I accept responsibility for my actions. If somebody's got to suffer for what, what's been done, let it be me, not, not my people. And it was then, it was that exact moment that the plague stopped. Coastal, that's not a coincidence. You know, it's one thing to feel bad about what you've done. You know, David felt bad. You know, he felt bad about his, his sin as soon as he had done it. But it's a very different thing to not blame other people, you know, and to be willing to accept responsibility for what you've done. And that's what David did here. And it's at that moment that the mercy of God was released in fullness in his life. And that's what makes him a man after God's heart. Not that he doesn't make mistakes, he did. Now some of you might be thinking, well that's great, this is great for David. I don't have an army. And if I ever find myself where I do, I'm not going to count them, I promise. Right? But beyond that, you know, what does it have to do with me? I think a lot. I think it has to do with all of us. And I think there's some lessons here we can learn from what happened to David, some lessons that apply to all of us. Lesson number one, and this is to steal a line from Uncle Ben and Spider-Man, with great power comes great what? Responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Another way to say it is the way Jesus said it in Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much. And if you live in this country, that applies to you, to me, all of us. We've all been given much. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. David had been given much. You know, you and I have been given much. And just like David, you know, I mean, it's funny. We, we don't seem to have a hard time turning to God and depending on God, you know, when things are tough. I mean, you know, man, when David was running from Saul, remember, he's living in caves. I mean, it was then that he referred to God in the Psalms as my, my refuge and my strength. And one time he said, he's my ever-present help in time of trouble. 
And we're all like that, man. When things are, are rough and tough and, man, we, we need help, we turn to God. But then, when things settle down, and just like they did for David when Saul was dead, and he's enthroned in the palace, he drops his guard. And my point is, you know what? We do the same thing. We do. And David's story reminds us that with great power comes great responsibility. It it reminds us that God has entrusted us with much, and so much is required. Lesson number two that we learn from David's life. Don't make the mistake of focusing on the gift and forgetting the giver. I mean, what what a great reminder this time of year, right? I mean, they started putting up, uh, you know, Christmas decorations like a month ago, right? And already, you know, we're thinking about Christmas, Operation Christmas Child. Don't make the mistake of focusing on the gift and forgetting the giver. And that's exactly what David did, and we do the exact same thing today. It is a human tendency. In fact, all throughout the Bible, the children of Israel struggled with this one. In fact, um, Moses... You know, he, he was constantly reminding the children of Israel the same thing. In fact, as they were getting ready to enter into the promised land, he was very specific about it. And he warned them. He said, you know, for the past 40 years, you know, while we've been on the run, you know, while we've been wandering around in the, in the wilderness, we all depended on God. And, and the fact is, we had to. You know, we had no choice. In fact, God gave us manna each day to eat. We called that our daily bread. There were no other options. But now, now he warned them, we're getting ready to enter into a new land and a new season of life. And man, I'm telling you, this this whole passage could have been written to us today. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he describes the land, first of all, he says, it's a land with streams and and pools of water, springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll not lack anything. He said, man, it's going to be great, it's going to be beautiful. We're going to be provided for, we're going to be blessed. And then he gives us this warning. And man, I'm telling you, this is so contemporary. It speaks to me. It should speak to all of us. Here's the warning. He says, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied... When you build fine houses and settle down and, and when you know, your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and, you, and all that you have is multiplied. In other words, man, things are going great. You got a job, you got a house, you got cars. You know, you, things are going well. He says, then be careful that your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who set you free. Verse 17. In fact, you might end up saying to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Man, that could have been written to us today. It is. I mean, those those words are just as relevant today. Be careful. That you don't get so enamored with the gifts, what you can see, what you can count, that you forget where they came from. 
And that's what David had done. And sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. Third lesson. So with great power comes great responsibility. Don't place the gift above the giver. Lesson number three, when you mess up, fess up. Come clean. And let God do his work of restoration. I mean, that really is the message of the life of David. That's that's really why he is somebody after the heart of God. Um, Humpty Dumpty character in uh, English nursery rhyme lore. Uh, In fact, it might be one of the best-known nursery rhymes in the English-speaking world. My guess is every single person in this room is familiar with it. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put what? Put Humpty together again. Uh, That nursery rhyme has been repeatedly referenced in song and literature for almost 150 years. In fact, when Robert Warren penned a best-selling novel in 1946, he borrowed from the nursery rhyme for the title of his book, uh, All the King's Men. Uh, When Woodward and Bernstein uh, told their story of Watergate, the Watergate scandal with Nixon, they, they borrowed from the rhyme again for the title of their book, All the President's Men. Uh, They felt like the title was fitting uh, because once word of the scandal got out, not even the entire staff of the President of the United States was going to be able to repair the damage. In popular science, Humpty Dumpty is used in order to demonstrate the second law of thermodynamics. But of all the things that Humpty Dumpty can be used to illustrate, my favorite is the fall of man. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they fell in the Garden of Eden, the crash was so great that nobody, nobody could repair the damage. Not them, not all the kings, not all the horses, or all the king's men. The only one who could repair what had been broken was the king himself. There's a modern day rewrite of this nursery rhyme, and it goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But along came the king and touched Humpty's soul. Only the king could make Humpty whole. What do you do when you stumble and fall? Enlist the king's horses and all the king's men, but only the king can heal you again. Rejoice, Humpty Dumpty, there is reason to sing. God loves broken people. Go to the king. So what can we learn from uh, David and from an old nursery rhyme? We learn that there is nothing so broken that God can't put it back together again. Listen, I don't know your story. I don't know all the baggage that you came here today with. But God does. And you know what religion says? Here's what religion says. Religion says you can put yourself back together again. That just work real hard, be a really good person, and uh, you'll be able to put all the pieces back together. Can't happen. That's never going to happen. 
That's not the way it works. That's religion. But for God to put it back together, listen to this, this is important. For God to put it back together, and he wants to, you've got to give him all the pieces. All of it. Don't you see? That's what he wants. He wants you. All of you. In fact, that's what he's always wanted. That's what it's always been about. It's about a relationship, a love relationship with God. He wants you to give it all to him. And, and yet you're, you're here today, you're struggling, not you know, thinking that it's, you know, I'm not good enough or God doesn't want this. No, he wants all of it. David was a man after God's heart because he was willing to give all of his brokenness back to God and allow God to restore him. And so my question to you today is a simple one. Are you willing to do the same thing? Will you humbly Give all of your brokenness to God. And if you will do that, listen, He will restore you. He will heal you. Nothing, not, not on the basis of who you are and you being good enough and what you do and what you don't do. No, on the basis of what Jesus Christ has already done and what He's accomplished for you on the cross and through His death, burial, and resurrection. That's Christianity. That's not religion. That's a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. And that's what He wants to have with you today. That's the good news of the gospel. And if you will just give God all of the pieces and just admit it to him, just like David, just come clean to God, me, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I need a Savior. And the good news is, one has been provided. That's not me. That's not anybody else. It is Jesus and if you will put your faith and trust in him and what he did for you, you will become a brand new person, completely whole again, completely forgiven. And in the eyes of God, he will look at you in that moment and say, perfect. Perfect. You can come to heaven. You can have a relationship with me. You can have that today and so much more. Bow your heads and pray with me. I'd like to pray with you through that process. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, um, again, I just thank you for David, God. I thank you for his life that we can relate to so often. We're just like him. We, we have a tendency to count and number and think that it all depends on us and what we can see and what we can touch. And we forget that even what we have in the first place, God, what we're even counting and numbering, it all came from you in the first place. God, we repent Forgive us for being faithless. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And Father, I believe today there are people here in this room and maybe someone watching online right now and they're ready to give you all of their brokenness. Listen, it is as simple and yet as beautiful as a prayer. Just pour out your heart to God right now and just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to come home. God, I admit it. I, uh, I'm a mess. 
I've blown it. I've sinned. I'm, 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 I'm broken. And today, I lay all that at your feet, all of it. And God, I take responsibility for it. I stop blaming and excusing and, and, and looking for loopholes. God, I, I, I take full and complete responsibility. And I just, I ask you to forgive me. I believe, God, I, I do. I believe that your son, Jesus, that he died on that cross for me. And as much as I know how, as much as I understand, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I put my faith and my trust in, in him, and in him alone, and, and alone in what he did for me that day. Not in my, my ability to be a better person, to do good things or not do bad things, but I put my trust in him. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to become more and more like you now see me today. And I don't completely understand it, but I put my faith in it today that you see me now as forgiven and, and brand new and whole and complete. And I just thank you for it, God. I, I want to thank you with my very life. Thank you. I pray all these things today in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.